Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. I uh, lived overseas at the time growing up, and we actually never got to see it growing up. But uh, I remember the the images of a man walking into a living room or such, putting on, changing his shoes, getting ready for the day, and today we're ready to go. I love the church. I love the church because it is a beacon of hope in a world that is in desperate need of some really good news. This morning, um, I just wanted to mention briefly what happened down here um, when we anointed people. Christy mentioned the scripture about it. But um, this is a vial of, of anointing oil that a lady in our last church made for, for me. Um, and it's got some essential oils in it. And there's, so there's nothing really special about this except that someone spent some time preparing this for, for you. And she didn't even know you. Um, when we anoint people, we are praying in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that something um, would happen. And it can be a lot of different things. A lot of times it's healing. People need a physical touch. Uh, Warren's friend is on a ventilator in Nashville um, dealing with complications from COVID. And um, just Warren was, was a good friend just now and saying, I want to be anointed on his behalf. And that can happen. Or maybe something in your own life. Um, I was anointed one time, and the one who was anointing me said something that has stuck with me, and I said it this morning to those that I was anointing. It was this. And Lord, may the oil of anointing which is upon your head, their head, uh, or this person's head, be a reminder of your sticky presence that we just can't get rid of. Amen. Um, I don't know if you ever had oil on your hands or on your, your forehead or whatnot, but it's hard to get off because it's, it's just, it's there, which is so, so appropriate for us as we think about the grace of God that's working in our lives, in marriages, in bodies, in lungs, in relationships, in children who are walking away from God. Um, and this is something that the church has done for hundreds and thousands of years. And that's just going to God, saying, God, I can't do this on my own. This healing is beyond me. This child that is away from you is beyond me. And so I, I just come to you. And so that's what we, we did this morning. And if you ever would like to be anointed, please let us know. Um, Warren let us know this morning. We weren't planning on doing that this morning. But Warren said, I would really, really like to be anointed. So we're like, sure, we can do that. So if there's ever a time, and it doesn't even have to be during a service. We can come to a hospital room or a, a bedside or, a, or your home or whatnot, and we can do that. Um, those of you who are watching online, um, it might be a little harder for us to get to you, but if you feel the need to be anointed, uh, please let us know because we would like to make it possible for you to be anointed. 
So um, I love I love anointing. Well, uh, I'm I'm continuing what Christy started uh, among us, talking about being for the neighborhood, specifically your neighborhood. You know, we as a church have a neighborhood right here, and every once in a while, we get to rub shoulders with people. Although in the midst of a season of COVID, we uh, we don't get to rub shoulders as much as we would like. But this morning, we want to continue thinking about what does it mean to be for our neighborhood. First of all, let's start by thinking about our neighborhood. I want you to picture the place where you live. Uh, It might be a college campus. It might be a neighborhood with lots of people around you. You might live out in the country and your nearest neighbor is a little further away. But picture your home, picture the area you live, picture the people that live nearby And I want you to have those people on your heart and mind this morning as we talk about what does it mean to be for your neighborhood. We're going to read a passage of Scripture where Jesus comes in very close proximity to a woman in deep, deep need of transformation. But as we start, I want to tell you a story. This week I was mowing my lawn on Monday. I was uh, in the back of it along the fence line. There's a neighbor on the other side that I haven't met yet. Uh, I've met one of them, but not the one. And uh, he was out doing something. It looked like he might want to talk, so I turned off the mower to just introduce myself because I really wanted to get to know him. I found out his name's Charles. Charles and I spent, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes talking. Um, He interrupted my mowing, uh, which is definitely okay in my book. I love to mow. It's a therapeutic thing for me. It's a project that I can do and get done, but that, that day, I think it was Monday, I decided I needed to stop what I was doing because my neighbor was more important. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But I got to know Charles, and Charles shared his phone number with me. Charles shared about Tim next to him and how they take care of each other, and when one is gone, the other mows for them and vice versa. We, uh, he shared with me, now this is crazy. Can you believe that they would do this? They've actually given each other their keys to their homes so that if something's ever needed, they can get into their neighbor's house. Who does that? Well, actually, a lot of people do that. Uh, a lot of people do that. Some people don't even leave their houses locked. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because uh, I know that might be a vulnerability thing. But um, people sharing life is huge. I wonder what that looks like for you. Um, I want to read a passage out of John's gospel. John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, turn there uh, in your book, in your Bibles, on your phones, iPads. The scripture is going to be up on the screens to my sides. Uh, John chapter 4, we're we're jumping in on a story where Jesus is on his way somewhere. So let's just jump in real quick. Jesus Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them. His disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Joseph's, or Jacob's well was there, and Jesus Tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. 
He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. This is the word of God for the people of God and the world. And we all say together, thank you, Jesus. So Jesus was getting out of Dodge. I don't know if you caught it at the beginning. Uh, The Pharisees were getting stirred up, which they often did. They didn't quite like what Jesus had to say or do because he was um, challenging the religious system of the day. Can you imagine our religious system being challenged? This is what was happening here. Jesus was just doing his own thing, but he understood that the Pharisees were getting furious. They were buzzing. They were just, they were ready to lose their minds. And instead of staying and stirring things up, Jesus took a time out. You know, there are times when... um, Arguments and differences are so heated that a timeout is very appropriate. It's something that we all need to take the initiative to do from time to time, whether it's in our marriage, with our kids, um, at work, wherever that may be. We need sometimes to step back and let things simmer down. I want to show you a picture. It's a map. Um, And in this map, you'll see you have Samaria right in the middle. Uh, Below that, you have Judea, which is where this story begins. That's where the Pharisees were getting all riled up. You see, Judea was a place that was a, in in many ways, was a a center for the faith. The most religious people lived there. They knew what to do. Jesus was there. And he decided to get out of Dodge and go to Galilee. Now, you can see the problem here. See, Samaria was uh, the wrong side of the tracks of the day. It wasn't just the other side of the tracks. It was the wrong side of the tracks. So for for Jesus to get from Judea to Galilee, he needed to go either A, through Samaria, or B, he needed to cross the river to the east, skirt Samaria, and then cross back over the river into Galilee. Now, I don't know if Jesus was just tired and wanted to take the most direct route, or maybe, just maybe, Jesus wanted to go through Samaria on purpose. And it also could be that for Jesus, Samaria was not the wrong side of the tracks. For Jesus, Samaria wasn't the other side, that place where you just don't go. For Jesus, he saw the potential of the people who lived in Samaria. So for him, he just took 
the most direct route to Galilee. And he stopped off in Samaria. Now, for reference point, uh, Sychar, where they're talking about, is, um, is at the lower part. Uh, it's a black dot right next to a little red-tented mountain thing. And Sychar was a place where the Samaritans would have, um, that mountain would have been a very holy mountain for them. So Jesus was nearby for the Samaritans, some of the most precious property in all of their faith. So Jesus stops. This is where we find Jesus. Jesus chooses to go through rather than around. And I think this is the good news for us today. You see, Jesus intersects the lives of people, all people. Not just some people, all people. It doesn't matter what color of the skin they are. It doesn't matter where they are from. It doesn't matter where they are currently at. Jesus intersects the lives of people, which is why he would go through that area. It was noon. It was the hottest part of the day. The sun would have been high, and Jesus was tired. The scripture says that he sat down by the well wearily. That's a weird word, wearily. About that time, a woman from town came to draw water. Have you ever been so exhausted when Jesus opens an opportunity for you that uh, you aren't quite sure you have what it takes? Jesus, I'm tired. Let me get to this later. Let me touch that life later. Let me impact this situation later. I'm tired. It's been a long day. It's been a long week. It's been a long year. But sometimes Jesus opens the opportunities for us in which we have to wrestle with what is more important, our comfort or the foundational, most fundamental relationship that all of humanity needs, and that is a relationship with Jesus. I have to admit, there have been times where I have opted for the comfort rather than the mission. I have decided to say, you know what, I, I put in a long day. I mean, I'm a pastor. I, I do ministry all day long, all week long. I, I get a buy here, right, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, silly boy. I've got someone that you need to intersect your life with theirs. So things are getting interesting. Jesus at a well in the heat of the day with a woman, a Samaritan woman. And if you didn't catch it, Jesus is alone. All of these things come together for the great makings of a scandal. We all like a good scandal, don't we? Unfortunately, probably we do. But I don't bring this up because of an impending scandal with Jesus at the middle. I bring this up because Jesus wants to transform a life and he's willing to step outside of the norms. He's willing to step outside of the expectations because the life of this woman is more important than any of it. I had the opportunity the last few weeks to be teaching a course at Treveca. And I love uh, working with students uh, because you get them at just the raw humans that they are. They're in the midst of transformational moments in their life and they are just kind of working out, what does it mean to be me now that I'm outside of the house? Now that mom and dad don't have direct influence in my life, you know, they still have some influence, uh, but, you know, what does it mean to be me? And one of the things we've been talking about is this thing called holiness. 
holiness, this life that is fully surrendered or consecrated to God. And a life that God fully takes and molds and shapes into his image. A, a, a life fully surrendered and a life fully filled with all that God has. One of the things that when we talk about holiness is this idea of being separate, you know, staying away from the, the things that make us dirty, the things that taint us, the things that cause us to sin. And that's a very good interpretation of holiness, but it's, but it's a, an anemic one because there's more to holiness than just staying away from that which makes you unpure. For, for Jesus, he understood that it's important to remain holy, but we are to, we are to be holy for the sake of others. And so the, the tension we find ourselves in this is, with holiness is this. What does it mean to be separate yet to be missional like God has called us to be? How do we stay separate from that which hinders, but yet go to those whose lives are being hindered by the effects of sin in their life? This is what Jesus probably maybe had been wrestling with, but he'd already decided it in his life. He was willing to go wherever it took him if it meant that he might be able to bring new life to someone. So we have this woman who is needing something, and Jesus recognizes that. He recognizes that she needs not just the water from the well that sits in front of them, but she needs water from a well that will never dry up, that will never go out, a, a, well, a water source that not is just, that's not just external, but is internal. And, and I think the question I want to ask us today, today is this, do you recognize the needs of those who are around you? Do you recognize the needs of your neighbors, your classmates, the people in your dorm room? Do you recognize the needs of the people across the street and the people at work and people at school? Do you recognize these needs? Because one of the things that's required to recognize the needs is you actually have to be able to see the people. And sometimes we're so busy. Our faces are in phones or books or jobs, or projects. You know, we hold ourselves up in homes because we're just trying to escape the world when in all reality, God's called us to go into that world in the midst of all of its brokenness. We have to be a people who see people. I, I draw your attention to this situation, not because of the scandal, but because of the hope that Jesus has to offer a woman who had no hope. There's a whole other story about this woman that, that I'm just going to give you the snapshot version of it. There's a reason why she was alone at the, in the heat of the day drawing water. Because you normally would do that at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day where it was cooler. Everyone would have done that except for this woman. She, for some reason, did not feel as though she could hang out with the people who had been coming at the normal time. She was an outcast. She was a woman who, uh, for some odd reason, which the story tells us, uh, was very much separated from society because of her sin. Do you recognize what you have to offer those around you? It's one thing to recognize what people need, but do you recognize what you have to offer? Oftentimes, this has been true of every church I've ever served at. You have people who will come to the church needing assistance. Uh, whether it's a utility bill, rent, food, clothes, transportation, gas, uh, 
you know, the list goes on. People need, and they feel like they can come to the church to help, and we do want to help. But here's my biggest frustration as a pastor. Rarely do people come to the church looking for the best resources that we have. And there's two of them. One, it is God and the hope that God has to offer. But second, it's us. When we see people walk through in our doors, we recognize, oh, that's someone I don't know. Oh, something's up there. Um, I'm going to intersect their life so that I can share God with them through me, but I can also share me. We are our best resource, second only to God. Yes, we can help pay bills on occasion, but we don't have resources to pay the kind of bills that people come through the doors asking for help on. We are our best resource. As long as we are a people who recognize the needs in others and we see them, but also we recognize what we have to offer. Think about what you have to offer each other today. Take a moment, look around the room at each other. What do you have to offer these people? What do they have to offer you? Now, some, some people are coming up with a list. Well, I want that from them, and I want that from them. I'd really like that from them. And you know that car that they're driving? I would really like that. What do we have to offer each other? And at the core of it is our fellowship, our proximity. Jesus says to this woman, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I have will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Think about that water. Let's think about what this water represents. Above all else, this water represents the hope and the transformation that we have to offer them because it has become a well bubbling up in us. We have that to offer. If you have nothing else to offer, it, you have that. Now, some of us are, are blessed with other resources of all different kinds, and we have ways that we can bless people with that. But I'm not asking you to do this. I am not asking you as a pastor to go out and just give everything you have away to whoever you find. What I am asking you to do is this. Be sensitive to what God is wanting to do through you in the lives of the people you encounter today and tomorrow and this week and next month and next year and for the rest of your life. My grandfather was one of my, I knew one of them really well. One of them died when I was about two and a half. The one that I knew uh, died when I was in college. And so I spent my growing up time with him. And I remember he lived on a farm. He had his old farm truck that we would go to town occasionally in. You could see the road passing beneath you uh, in, through the floorboards, and you never wanted to push on the pedals too hard for fear that they would give all the way through. But I remember going down dusty country roads with the triangle windows, you know, trying to get some air, but when you did that, you also got all of the dust and everything, and you'd have a cab full of just swirling dusty air. 
But there would be times when we would pull through town and my grandfather would roll his window down and he would wave at someone. And I would often say, Grandpa, who is that? And I love this response. I don't know. I was thinking here he was. He had relationships with people and he was, you know, you know saying hi, you know, catching up with people. But no, my grandfather saw people. Now, sometimes he'd stop. Sometimes, a lot of times he didn't. But at the core of what my grandfather would do is he recognized people. And you know what? That is a powerful gift to people. To be recognized by someone is something that many people don't even have the opportunity for. We can recognize others. You see, proximity matters. I love where Jesus shows up in this narrative. Jesus shows up in the wrong place at the wrong time. At least that's true from a highly religious uh, perspective. From the perspective of this woman, Jesus showed up at the exact right place at the exact right time. And I want us to wrestle with what that looks like. How do you define where you are and what you're up to? With the kingdom of God in mind, Jesus was in the exact right spot at the exact right time to be able to give hope to a woman who was desperately looking for it. From the beginning of time, God ends up right where humanity needs God to be. Rarely does God offer what we think we need. God always offers, though, what God knows is our deepest need. God always offers what God knows to be our deepest need. She was thinking about a beverage. He was thinking about a transformation of her soul. Oftentimes, we are so caught up on the things that we need that we forget about the core of it. And that is the condition of our soul. Where you are matters. Where you live matters. Where you work matters. Where you go to school matters. Where you play matters. And who is around you in those places? They matter. Where are you trying to get to? In your life, where are you trying to get to? Um, you're here right now in this stage of your life. Yeah, you define it however you want to define it. And we all have this kind of idea of where we're headed, where we want to get to. Can I just encourage you? In the midst of the race to get from here to there, would you just pause and linger where you're at and let God show you the people that are around you? I love these two words when you put them together. I, I, I want you to linger longer. Would you do that? This week, will you linger longer in those places where you are? In those quiet moments and you're just raring to, to, to move on, to go to the next thing, would you just linger longer? You might find yourself uh, over the fence row uh, between you and your neighbor, and you've got this lawn to mow. And could I just encourage you to turn the mower off and linger longer with your neighbor? You might be on a walk 
and you are trying to get in that mile before you have to get onto the next thing, and, and you're walking the neighborhood, or you're walking the street, and you're on a mission, but could you maybe, just maybe, when you walk by that neighbor, and you say, hey, what if you lingered longer and gave them more than a, hey, but gave them a piece of yourself, even just a few moments to share life with someone who needs you to recognize them? Proximity matters. God can't offer what God has to offer unless God is in close proximity to people. Which is why Jesus is so important. God in Jesus took up proximity in our midst. And that changes everything. Let's follow the example of Jesus. Let's go where the people need us the most. And let's be there right in the middle. Let's move into the neighborhoods of the people who need us and the God that we serve. Proximity matters. Had Jesus not been at the well that day, he wouldn't have encountered the woman. Now, I don't know if Jesus knew she was going to show up at the well. This is a big debate. I don't know if it really matters. All I know is this. Jesus, wearily sitting by a well, encountered a woman, and Jesus gave her hope. Church, we might be uh, wearily sitting in life, overwhelmed by all the things that have affected us. But can I just encourage you, don't ignore the people who are walking up next to you. Don't ignore them. See them for who they are. See them for the, for the souls that they are, not just the bodies that are in your way. Let's not start by trying to figure out where we need to get to. Let's start with right where we are, right here, right now. Jesus offers each and every one transformation that goes far beyond the expectations of even the, the smartest and the most important people of the day. From his encounter with the woman at the well, it would seem that Jesus is more interested with personal transformation rather than maintaining a status quo. This is the model. This is the Jesus. This is the Lord that we follow. Our proximity matters. And you, every one of you, has proximity. Every single person does. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Christy's been challenging us over the last few weeks to move out of our homes into our yards and out of our backyards into our front yards. Um, as we do this, we are, have been challenged to consider how we might impact the people around us. Church, we are going to be that church that's for our neighborhood. Uh, and you are going to resonate the most with this church when you find yourself in your neighborhood doing what we as a church are committing to do together. We have to do a, a few things in this process, though. One, we need to recognize the potential of where you are. The job that you are in is not by mistake. The place that you live is not just because it was a really nice house. The place you're going to eat this week, it's not just a coincidence recognize the potential of where you find yourself. 
When you're standing in line this week at the grocery store, would you just take a moment and recognize I'm here on purpose? Esther knew that. I was created for such a time as this. You and I are created in the image of God for times and places just like this. So we need to recognize the potential of where we are. We also need to recognize the potential of who is around us. I love people watching. I always am intrigued by what I see. And it might be easy for me to begin judging people. Oh, can you believe that that person is and that person is and that person is? But I really have worked to, to, to push that aside because I simply want to see what Jesus sees in the people around us. Quick story. Um, Rylan and I were coming back from a trip. Uh, this is a few years ago. We had flown out from my father's retirement party, uh, and we found ourselves in the airport in Denver. Uh, as we sat at the gate waiting for our plane to board, uh, I was sitting here, Rylan was sitting next to me, and then there was a woman who had occupied the seat next to him, but she was up on the phone and she was pacing, and something was not right. And I just sat and watched her. Something was going on in that phone conversation that was getting her all worked up, all just really worn out. So I looked over to Rylan. I said, Rylan, what do you notice about that girl? And he leaned over and said, um, she has purple hair. I said, yes, that is true. But what else do you notice about her? And he paused a little longer than the first time. And he said to me, he said, Dad, she's sad. I said, you're right. I wonder why. So he and I sat there for a little bit longer. She got off the phone and she sat down in a defeated slump. And I got all the gumption up in me and I leaned across uh, Rylan and I said, ma'am, is everything okay? She said, no. No, I just found out that my best friend committed suicide. And I'm here and I need to be there. And I just, I don't know what to do. I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you are hurting. Can I pray with you? Um, don't be afraid to pray with people. If they don't want you to pray with them, they'll tell you. But let's err on the side that we actually can pray with people. So I prayed for her. She got on our flight. She, she got off in Lansing, and um, she made her way, and I never heard from her again. But I can't help but think that that day, a dad and his son noticed a woman who needed someone to notice her. And it wasn't out of vain any, anything vain about it. She just was at the bottom of the barrel. We need to see people. So we need to recognize the potential of who we're around, but we also need to recognize the potential of what we have to offer. You have Jesus. At least I hope you do. You're here, which would suggest that maybe you do, but maybe not. Maybe you are here today and you are checking out this Jesus thing. And the people that seem to follow him around. If that's you, we are honored that you are with us today. And we hope that you have caught a glimpse of what it means to be the people of God. Um, 
you have had plenty of examples out there of the people of God not getting it right. But we hope that maybe, just maybe, if you hang around real life long enough, you'll recognize that Jesus loves you, and so do we. Here's my challenge for you this week. This is November. What do we do in November? Well, we eat turkey, right? And ham, and my aunt always brought a turduckian to Thanksgiving. You ever had a turduckian? No one's ever had a turduckian. It's a turkey with a chicken stuffed in it with a duck. It was really good. But we gather around tables to eat way too much food to give thanks. This afternoon, we're going to eat a meal with our college students. And I'm going to pause before we do anything, and I'm going to ask them all to give thanks for something. Here is my challenge for you this week. Be thankful for those around you. Go home, and I want you to recognize how thankful you are for your neighbor. Both sides. And you're like, oh, Pastor Jeremy, you have no idea who I live next to. Actually, I do. You live next to someone who's created in the image of God. And it just might be that their life looks a little broken these days. You can be thankful for them. And maybe, just maybe, seeing them in a new light will change everything about how you interact with them on a daily basis. Be thankful. And this week, uh, find a tangible way to show your thanks for them. Write them a note. Take them a pie. Take them something else. Mow their lawn for them. Be careful with that one. They might like to do it themselves. Find a way to give thanks because you have recognized that God has put you in a location at a specific time for a specific reason. And that reason is the kingdom of God. Jesus said that he came to give life. May we be the people who come to give life.